0: Welcome to Discover Energy Work. I'm Richard Wicks, and we're going to be meeting Jasmine Nuns, who's all about dropping her mask and connecting with nature. I had the whole time the feeling I was really connecting with a very genuine person. And I would love you to just give me the feedback on our Facebook page, Discover Energy Work, or send me a private message uh, on Facebook, and let us know what, what you felt. Today we have Jasmine here, and I tell you what, I am really excited because Jasmine is doing something which is quite different, and I really don't know much about. So I'm going to have to ask Jasmine to like really sort of connect with connect to me more. But but it's such a weird feeling because I have got on Zoom and I've just gone. I felt like there's just an energy coming coming to me, and it's not a, a, an oppressive energy. It's an, an energy of vitality and an energy of um, I'd say warmth, but it's not warm, yeah? I th- I'd say just a lot, like a really natural energy and a really, really nice feeling. And within two minutes, I'm just feeling really at home. And and I'm calling Jasmine, darling. I've gone, oh, darling. Oh, no, what am I saying? I'm so embarrassed. I'm embarrassing myself. And I said, yo, it's just like, it's just lovely. It's just like a feeling of love and feeling comfort and feeling homely. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to call it what it is. You'd, Uh, I'm not trying you know I'm not in love but wow what a privilege to just turn up you know in somebody's well you're in my kitchen actually but you turn up in my kitchen and I just go oh wow I can't go outside Mm -hmm. because of COVID-19 much although Thailand's you know pretty pretty doing pretty well with the situation and I just feel like I've I'm you know totally much more connected and much more connected with a person than I could be, you know, sometimes having coffee with a friend. So, you know, thank mm-hmm. you. Jasmine, I'm I'm sorry I've sort of take, probably taken away some of your um welcome, but welcome mm. to Discover Energy Work. And um yeah, what a lovely smile. Um can you um can you sort of introduce yourself a little bit or just tell me how you're doing this both of you
1: okay. Yeah. Um And firstly, thank you. Thank you for sharing and and reflecting that back because it's, you know, you can never hear it enough. And I think especially with the world, the way that it is now, um, that sense of that question of belonging and feeling that sense of home and warmth and safety, it's, um, it's becoming it's becoming more and more important and and a big part of my work um i didn't realize when i when i sort of began but a big part of it was was really bringing people back to to a belonging of home to this earth and and remembering that this is you know the the sacred mother the big she and she's always here and we all belong to her and so i'm touched to hear that uh but yeah, that I, that I'm able to share that, that presence, um, with do you. Do you do
0: this full time?
1: I do. Um, yeah, I, I started, I started. No, no, Camboli- no, I've got a
0: question. I've got like this, I've got loads of questions. And the first thing is, is like, like if I think of society and, you know, bus driver, accountant, uh, chief executive, sales manager are going like, uh, oh yeah. Um, Flaky person that talks about forests and trees—that's not mm-hmm. something you're going to choose. So something's mm-hmm. happened, and that's that's mm-hmm. the key. Uh, and I don't mean you're. Well, I, I mean, yes, you're flaky in in many people's eyes. I don't think you're flaky. I know there's a story, and the story's given yeah. it great meaning. So, so yeah. where does that start?
1: Where does the story start? Um, mm. Yeah, I really have to give credit to my parents. Um, Okay. Who were not—they weren't environmentalists. They weren't activists. Mm-hmm. Um, by our cultural standard of normal, they were normal people. They—my dad worked in in the corporate environment. My mum was a stay-at-home mum who looked after myself and my brother. And um,
0: in Hong Kong, and yet
1: she had in Hong Kong. That's right. right. Yeah, and she had a real um, flavour for. Uh, craft and design and um, entrepreneurial and can't even say that word entrepreneurial skills and Mm -hmm. and uh and so actually my parents split up when I was eight and so we were raised primarily by my mother in Hong Kong and our childhood was really as as urban as Hong Kong is we grew up in the new territories in a village setting where my brother and I you know, we, we went out and played and the only instruction was just get back before dinner. And so we were climbing trees. We were rescuing, you know, animals that we found, stray dogs and swimming in rivers. Yeah, and I
0: the... think many people don't realise that Hong Kong, you know, there's this, this uh, um, concrete jungle. And with the, the photos you get from Hong Kong, it's it's all urban, urban, urban. But there's actually yes. these incredibly beautiful um countryside parts to Hong Absolutely. Kong.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's forty-four percent country park.
0: Right. And it's like forty four percent amazing. But I mean like New Territories is like just villages, very sort of very open, very uh, two steps from from the the nature. Yeah. Might be trees, might be might be uh, brush, um, and certainly hills.
1: Yeah. And we were really lucky to have that just literally right outside our doorstep. And, and, you know, why I'm really grateful to my mom really was that as much as she, you know, she was the type of woman, she's beautiful, beautiful woman who would get her nails done, you know, once every two weeks, she would go to the hair salon twice Mm. a week to get her hair done up in a nice way. She would wear beautiful dresses and jewelry. Mm. She was very, very feminine. And yet she was raised on a farm and she was a farm girl at heart. And so it was really quite natural for her to just let my brother and I play in nature mm-hmm. and, and develop our relationship with the natural world and whether or not she knew it consciously, it really formed the way that I um, became as, as an adult or at least my connection back with the earth. And, my dad who uh, lived in Singapore at the time, he lived on a sailing boat, you know, he was, uh, he loves to be on the water and sail. And so when we would go and spend time with him, we would be on the water sailing to islands and camping Mm. out. And, um, so I really had, I had almost the best of both worlds. I had the land, I had the ocean and I had my parents sort of anchoring both sides of that. Um, Again, whether or not they did it consciously, it was they were sharing their their love and their innate sort of need to be in these elements and um, and we were able to to receive that as children and My mother, who still lives in the same village where we grew up as children mm. uh, again that was a blessing because we would move back to Singapore and spend time with my dad and then come back to Hong Kong. And of course, when I went off and studied in the UK would come back, you know, periodically every few years or months. And, and I would see the village where we grew up change over time. You know, the trees that I remember climbing as a child, they were chopped down to build another village house, the river that we used to go and swim in and try and catch fish and pluck the rush and the grass. Uh, it would be filled in with concrete to prevent flooding the marshland where my dog used to run away into and come back stinking of dead fish. He, it it would, it was filled in with concrete to, to build a mm. car park. And, mm. and I remember feeling that pinch of sadness and nostalgia and you know, that just, it felt like a, it really did feel like a loss for me. And as a child, the sense of loss was like, oh, I can't climb that tree anymore. Right, And yet it was remembering the curves of the tree, the texture of how it felt in my hand, how it held me when I lay on the tree or, you know, the shade that it gave the fruit that it bore. And, um, and yeah, and I didn't realize until much later when I was an adult, really, that that had such a powerful, um, it really led me into the work that I was doing and studying geography.
0: It, it sounds um, like, like, um, that these were your friends.
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That the, you know, that,
0: that, um, there's a certain natural, uh, and I'd say like childlike, um, imaginary friend, but like the tree is my friend and I'm going to lean absolutely. on the tree and, yeah. and and how are you uh, today? Tree? Yeah. Um, yeah. and, did you like you must have gone to school and noticed that other kids were different or or not really Do not know find if that I was part or?
1: I don't know if I was conscious at that age the the difference um I I did notice that a lot more of my friends that I would play with at that age didn't live in the types of places that I did um and I do remember actually once um suggesting to one of my friends who lived in a very urban area and she had a a mountainside outside of her place that we go and climb the mountain and we ended up you know sliding off this a part that had a landslide and i got all these scrapes and cuts on my arms and but to me that was a sense of normality is that you go out and and explore and, Mm. you know, we went on a trail and our parents didn't know where we were, which is so rare these days. The, you know, the distance in which children roam or play has reduced in the last 10, uh, 30 years um, Mm. by 90%. And a big part of, you know, the importance of our connection with nature is that it's done unsupervised, especially for children. Mm. And, and I was really, I'm so grateful that I had the experience of, of, you know, all the hours and nights and times that I was out in nature, unsupervised. I didn't have an adult telling me, you know, this is what you do, or this is the name of that tree. Mm. It was all to do with my relationship and my sense and that being embodied in remembering what it feels like to climb that tree or swim in that river or sit on that rock.
0: Well, we used to have a gang. We used to just go out as a gang of us and just go into the dell or go into the woods, and you know, yeah. I mean, it was like a little, a little group of bandits. There. <laughs> you know.
1: That's exactly it. Yeah, and honestly, we terrorized, you know, aspects of the natural world, and I'm, you know, there's, I'm not proud of it, and I don't condone behavior of what we did, and so it's interesting because when you you know, suggested the relationship was very friendly. It was. Um, but the way that I I relate to, to the natural world feels much more like a sibling. You know, you have that deep love and you, you have that connection and yet your sibling will piss you off and you will get into fights and, you know, you mm. might shove them around and push them back and they'll push you back and you might call each other names. Um, and what I mean by that is that it didn't feel... It didn't feel like my relationship with the natural world was really tender or that I needed to hold it with care and- it sounds time. earthy, yeah,
0: it doesn't sound like yes. um, uh, what some people um, might say, you know, tie a scarf around your head and-, and Yeah. You know, hold a crystal. It was
1: rough yeah. and tumble, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I knew, you know, the I, I remember the first, the very first time I was conscious of the relationship not being just one-sided, that there was the earth speaking back to me and that I was being taught in sometimes quite forceful ways of, um, uh, you know, the, the, the consequences of our interaction with the natural world.
0: Look, you're and, wait a minute, you, you jump. I'm just, like, curious. So suddenly you've gone, you've gone from being a kid to there's this communication where you're learning. <laughs> So was that sudden or did something happen in between or?
1: No, it was when I was a kid. Um, actually, it was just after my parents had split up and we moved back to Hong Kong um, with my mum. And she would, every weekend she joined these hiking groups where, you know, there might be like 20 or 30 odd people going on a hiking trip. And we might mm. finish uh, at one of the barbecue sites where people would sort of make a barbecue, have lunch mm. and cook mm. their mm. noodles. and and I remember this one particular place, it was surrounded by paperbark trees. And I don't know if you're familiar with the paperbark, they're originally from Australia and they have a very flaky outer bark that you can peel off just like paper. Mm. And and I remember collecting bark from the tree because I just found it so fascinating. And um, we just finished a barbecue and so there were leftover f- you know fires and embers going and we had the barbecue forks. And I remember looking at the barbecue fork that was sitting in the the fiery embers, and then looking next to me at the the paper bark tree with its flaky peely bits, and I thought, ooh, I wonder what would happen if I took the barbecue fork, the red hot barbecue fork, and put it next to the tree, and you know what what would it do to the paper? Mm. So I took the fork out, and I sort of pressed it into the bark of the tree, and of course, the you know the hot ends of the fork singed right through the bark of the tree and and made the two black holes and I thought oh this is exciting um and so I went back and and left the fork in in the fire um to heat it up and then do it again and I did this maybe three times and I think on the fourth time I really got it to a point I remember needing to, to coach myself into being patient to wait long enough that the, the fork was hot enough that it could really burn through a thick layer of the, the bark. Mm. And, and I did, you know, I waited until I saw it glowing red and I pressed it into the tree. And, and this time what I did was actually lean on the, the barbecue fork a bit and I was holding it with my hands and and I remember thinking, I wonder if this hurts the tree. And literally, the next moment, my hand slid down the barbecue fork to the red hot part mm-hmm. of the barbecue, and it burned my hands. And there was my answer: was this was the reply? It was the response um, from the natural world saying, "You wondered if it was painful." This is how it feels.
0: No, I'm just fascinated because you're eight, and I know a little bit. You know, I'm a psychologist. uh, I have a psychology degree. I'm not a psychotherapist. Yeah, Mm. but at eight years old, your brain isn't that developed. Yeah, Mm. and you got it. You you got it at eight, or you get you got it later.
1: I got it later. I remember feeling fear and a high degree of respect in that moment. I mean, I was in pain okay, and I it. felt like, <laughs> I yeah, I got it. You, I, was, yeah. I asked the question and then I slid and I was like, okay, okay. And I, I never did that again. Right. Um, but it was only until much later when I think, and that memory really stuck with me mm. that I looked back and I was like, that was the first time that Mm. I consciously was aware of there was that dialogue happening, mm. and um, yeah, it's, I, and I mean, then, it's
0: moved me. I feel it across my shoulders. I just feel like mm,
1: it's, same.
0: I feel like oh wow, that's 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 moving. In in that you know you made the connection, um, that you got the shot, but also you got oh wow, like you know mm. i i I've, I've been a little bit of a torturer and a meanie. But now I know. Yeah? yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And
1: that really is that sense of, you know, that embodied feeling. I can still feel it, you know, that moment that I slid and that, you know, it's, it's like the feeling when you, when you slip on something and that, you know, hmm. it's, yeah, it is. Did we is talk about defense
0: mechanisms. mechanisms? Did you rationalize or did you, you know, sort of try to um, sort of explain it away? Like you know, this can't have been real later on, or you just you were just convinced.
1: I don't know. I I think at the time it was it was a little bit like you know when mum when you've done something naughty and mum gives you that look and you just know like uh oh (laughs) she's she's mad yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, and then yeah that moment of like okay okay I get it I I get it. I don't think I tried to, I don't think that the memory was present until I really started to dive into um, a lot more of the work that I'm doing now. And and these you, memories came back up that I was like, oh, even back then it was already starting. And, did you
0: try to make amends with the tree as an eight-year-old? That's I'm curious, because I think it would be very sort of um I don't eight-year-old know if I did yeah try to uh, okay i'm gonna give you a sweetie or you know
1: yeah
0: i something of mine i'm so sorry you know
1: i know and i i I wish i had a lovely story about how i went and hugged the tree and and said i was sorry but i i probably didn't and maybe what i'm doing now is making up for you know the relationship that i had back then um and you know really remembering that full respect and reverence um and then yet remembering that
0: have you gone back to the tree? Is it still there?
1: Oh, I don't remember exactly which uh, which barbecue spot it was, but um, okay. but actually, I do a lot of work with that tree, and okay. um, yeah, it's still in my life. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and so um, I'm I'm curious because I think like already like we are sort of we've uncovered uh, a fascinating anecdote um, of like you know oh, wow, I'm eight years old and I've really learned something. But that doesn't necessarily form whole life direction. So was there other real life... And you went to an international school in Hong Kong, I'm guessing.
1: Yes, I did, Um, in Hong Kong and Singapore. And mm, so it's interesting. I... The way that I view it now um, and remembering I had my mother's voice in my head saying, you know, that how, how I'm so stubborn and how as a child, this was a quality that was not good. And yet I feel like it's my stubbornness that has brought me to that, to a sense of resilience in keeping on this path and that sense of rightness in me not a rightness of society or the conditioned roles that we have for our young people or men or women. Um, I've, there's always been, and I don't know where it comes from really, but there's always been a sense of that doesn't feel right. And I've followed that. Um, and I remember my two favorite subjects in school were geography because I really did have this fascination for the lifeness that was the earth, you know, I had. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, I wanted to be three things. I wanted to be a volcanologist because I just, I loved volcanoes and the idea that, the, you know, the tectonic plates were moving and, the, and that formed the earth's crust and mm-hmm. they pushed together and the, you know, the lava came out and um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was the, the movement and the aliveness of, of this, this earth planet that we live on Mm -hmm. and so a volcanologist was one a vet was another Mm -hmm. and a therapist a counselor and I remember thinking like these are such random things how how can I ever find how they could come together as one and interestingly again when I started this journey with Kimbali I looked back and I was like ah, actually what I'm doing now is is bringing in elements of all three of those um, parts, and actually, you know, in understanding of the earth in a in a different way, not necessarily a scientific or a rational, um, and then bringing in the therapeutic element of coming back, having our bodies and our souls and our emotional bodies back into the earth, and you know, with the love of animals is reminding people of our yeah our reverence and our um, you know, that the, yeah, animals are, are also children of the earth, and so it's it's been interesting to kind of again look back and be like, mm. Oh, yeah, even back then it was already forming. And
0: so, so yeah, you said a word, Kimbali. He mm. Kimbali. said this word, and he said, like, Kimbali, yes. and you're like, and like, simple mindedly, me, I've gone like that, volcanologists, and um. <laughs> Uh, therapist, that's what Kim Barley is. But I mean, I, of course, I don't think that But I've got, oh, it's, it's to do with that. Um, and, and I'm already like, curious. So you did you meet a teacher? Did you or did you face a problem? And then uh, slowly sort of search for the solution? And eventually it was?
1: Yeah, so really what I after I finished my studies, I, I came back to Hong Kong and knew that i wanted to work in a role that i was giving back and for me that was it was a charity of of any form you know and um it, luckily i i managed to find a job in an animal welfare based charity which is great because i was combining my love for animals and um and essentially it was it was guiding, it was bringing therapy dogs into local government schools in Hong Kong mm. and conducting an English lesson uh, while having a therapy dog present and really educating uh, children who didn't have contact with dogs uh, living in, in government housing estates. Mm. And, you know, sort of with the element of teaching them English was also the the very strong underlying message of Let's care for these animals because they have feelings just like we do. Mm. And so I was working there for yeah, quite a while and needed to, felt the need and the readiness to, to expand into, into this sense of, hang on, if we're not taking care of our planet, then how can we take care of our animals? Mm. And so looked into where I could work that was focusing more on environmental conservation. And so I found a local organization that was also a permaculture farm in Hong Kong and they did education based, uh, programs for children, for corporates. And they were really very solution based, you know, so this is the issue. What can we do as an alternative? And that really satiated that need of mine to gather the skills and the tools that are going to be necessary, um, To transform the way that we have a relationship with the natural world now when i was there as happy as i was i was becoming frustrated because i was finding myself you know if i had a group of 30 people whether it was children or adults i would find that if i was lucky maybe maybe 30 percent would be engaged they would they would be understanding, you know, the, the issues that we're facing our world, our oceans, our forests, our animals, mm-hmm. our planet, socially, all of that. And they would feel empowered and engaged enough to go off and do something about it, whether mm. it was a child that was like, I'm going to I'm going to ask my mom to, you know, to get me a solar lamp so that I can read my books there um, all of these other beautiful examples. And yet the majority of the room, I would find them with a look of apathy and a look of, you know, it was a bit of like, okay, so when's lunch going to be ready for us? And I questioned the self critic in me is very strong. And so I questioned myself. I was like, maybe I'm just a terrible teacher. Maybe I need to go and do, you know, three degrees in education and Um, and then come back and and share Mm. this knowledge. And Mm. maybe Mm. I need to tell them scarier things about what's happening to the planet so that it'll shake them into waking up. Right. And after all of that, I I went back to why, why this was so important for me. And it was that childhood that I had. I dealt, I built a relationship with the natural world Mm. and that's why it impacted me so much when I would see you know, not just in my home place, in my home country, what was happening to the rivers and to the waters and to the animals. Um, but I saw that connection and I felt that connection. Mm. And, and all of a sudden there I was expecting that everyone would get it. And yet, you know, we're living in increasingly urban spaces Um, where people aren't necessarily able or invited to have that connection themselves. So my journey shifted from education to Mm. facilitating connection with the natural world.
0: You know, I'm sitting here and I'm just trying to, I'm trying to understand um, why I'm almost feeling um, that you're sad. Mm. I'm almost feeling like, wow, it's like I can feel vitality, but there's this, Almost this underlying sadness mm. there, and you know what I think it is I just think I think you you open yourself up to being vulnerable mm. and that's what i that's what i'm feeling It's like well I, I feel it you know um, and and I do feel that part of the success of the city life is our ability to not open up
1: mm. and
0: be vulnerable, to walk past that person who's, you know, um, fallen over or walk past the, the beggar or whatever. And I'm, i beggars not necessarily the best example because there's mm. uh, without a doubt, there's some scams going on there. um, mm. um but, uh, you know, I feel like, um, in the big city and having lived, you know, uh, 12 years in Hong Kong, I'm currently in Thailand, which is just so, I'm just so in nature. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, um, he used to listen down to, you know, the the traffic going by and the the ambulance or the fire engines going by and the, and the, and the, 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 tr- the traffic light going. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: now it's frogs. I just got a yes. frog, you know, or oh, birds. And I'm like, this is so nice. I'm just going to, I just welcome it. And then locals say, oh, don't the animals keep you awake? And it's like, no, no, not at all. I just love them. Yeah. Like, I'm just, yeah. Like, I'm so glad you're here.
1: <laughs> yeah, You know,
0: you could be a fire engine,
1: believe me. <laughs> um, Absolutely. It's, um, it is, it's, it's a, it's a dangerous little game to, to play, you know, when, when I do find myself in full immersion in the natural world and, and opening up to opening up all the doors that we've been trained, I've been trained to close, you know, throughout my life. And Mm. no, 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 not that door. No, we don't want to go in there because otherwise we'll feel this and the natural space and, and, you know, the, yeah, the great mother, she, she welcomes it all. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how you show up. It doesn't matter what clothes you wear. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. how you're feeling when you walk into a natural space. It's, you know, she is the great container that holds us unconditionally. Mm. And, you know, having those, the many layers of masks that we that we put on when we have to go into an urban environment and, and you're absolutely right, we do all of that doesn't matter. And as we slowly unpeel those layers in a natural space, a big part of the um, remembering is also how do we balance the both worlds? Because a lot of us do live in urban cities and and maybe we live in the edge of, of those places like mm. we do in Hong Kong. Mm. And so coming back in after a beautiful day immersed in you know waterfalls in Hong Kong and feeling so open, I have to be quite careful with um, coming back to the city and getting on the MTR and being surrounded Mm. by all of these people and receiving, you know, more than just, yeah, the, the, the emotional energy that's coming off from, from the city, the pace, it can be exactly, as you said, a really vulnerable um, process and, And yet sometimes when you're in an urban environment for so long, it takes longer when you get out into a natural space to, Mm. to let those layers go. But I find that the more and more I do it, um, and have done over the years, it's, you know, it's, it's not like in winter now where you have to like, Oh God, I've got to take off my jacket. And then there's like a million layers Mm, of mm, clothes that I need to take off. It, it becomes much more seamless now but coming mm. back into the urban environment that's tricky That's still tricky for me
0: okay i want to i, I want to get to the bit where you meet your teacher and the 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 the, the, the change of um, i mean i don't know if this is there but i just assume it must be uh so do you want to take me there
1: yeah i it, it's interesting i've had many 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 teachers and um but really you know continuing on from the story of, of the point where i realised as important as education is the, the journey that I'm feeling guided into is that facilitation of reconnection. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it's been, you know, it's as, as they say, when, when you become open, then the universe is conspiring to have to lay down everything that you need on this path. And I really did feel like that in that moment that I recognized that connection is is more important for me at this time than the work of education um mm. yeah i went to india and i studied uh, a life coaching uh, training and i had incredible incredible teachers there where for the very first time in a human to human setting i experienced unconditional acceptance and i'd never felt that before Mm. And I realized at that point that that's that's what I receive when I go out to nature that mm. unconditional acceptance and how powerful it is for us to hold that space for each other mm. um, in in an urban or in a human setting and again up until up that up up until that point really like for me humans were the problem humans were the stain humans were the virus on this planet and mm you know, how dare we treat this living earth in this particular way? Mm. And that was my environmental activism was I want to protect the planet. And I remember very clearly there was a moment um, where I was in a, a coaching practice. I was in a duel. So I was with a practice client mm. um, who was a like a, a fellow student. And I remember as I was coaching her, I heard this voice or this knowing as i was responding with you know open-ended questions and holding space where she was really talking about how anxious she was feeling in the state of you know the the planet and and the environmental crisis and a voice that was coming in was how dare you how dare you? And I was like, gosh, what is, like, what's that coming from? And what does that mean? Mm, who's, who's mm, saying that? Mm, and I realized later on that it was, it was Gaia. It was mama Gaia saying, how dare you think that you are going to protect me? And it was a really stern voice of, uh uh-uh, uh, I don't need your pity. Mm, I don't need your sympathy. I'm fine. And to put myself up on a pedestal of feeling like I can do this, I can fix this, I can make a difference, I can have an impact. Mm-hmm. There was such a strong need of mine. Again, having worked also um, in, these inv- in charities and, and NGOs, it's, it's, such a, it's such a common thread of we need to make an impact, we need to make a difference, mm-hmm. all coming mm-hmm. from the very best places, but it was also coming from a very egoic place. And as soon as I heard that voice, I stepped in it, it, the same feeling of when my hand slid down that fire poker, and the earth taught me a lesson and was like, Mm-mm,
0: "Wow, no, I, don't,
1: I don't need you to do that."
0: That's beautiful and, that you've connected those two. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. And you, I mean, was that the first and uh, last time that Gaia spoke to you?
1: No, there was. um so one of my, my favorite, if I'm allowed to have favorites, <laughs> one of my favorite teachers is um, Satish Kumar. And he, I call him my environmental Gandhi because uh, he is such a, a beautiful way in the same way that Gandhi was able to capture in one little sentence, you know, the power of mm-hmm. the words that, and, and the metaphor that he was bringing um Satish would do that in I felt in in a way of reverence for the earth Mm. and I remember asking well I was I was on a retreat where he came to Hong Kong gosh seven years ago um and it was five days spent with him and it was just a dream a complete dream to to sit with him with all that time and every morning before the start of the day I would take myself on a on a walk Mm. um Get up at six o'clock, go for a walk when it was still a bit dark and would come Mm. back and um and on the very final night, you know, was surrounded by all of this wisdom that he'd been sharing. And I thought, I really, I really want a way to capture and hold um in some sort of a way so I can remember and just not let let it dissipate as soon as I step back into, you know, the real world. And so that night before I went to bed, I asked my dreams. I said, you know, please. Or you help me capture something in a way of, you know, where I can hold this and take this with me when I leave Mm. this place.
0: Mm.
1: And, and I, I dreamed a dream. I woke up in the middle of the night, like with that feeling of, wow, you know, I can't believe like my dream actually gave me this, this metaphor that Mm. held um, everything that I was receiving. And I thought, oh, Jasmine, you better write it down. You know, otherwise you might forget it. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to forget this. My mind was like blown. So I fell back to sleep, confident that in the morning I would still have, you know, have that, um, that reminder. I woke up and completely forgot what the dream was.
0: Wow.
1: And so I was like, all right, you know, what a shame. And took myself out on my walk. And, and that particular morning, um, a friend of mine decided to join me. And so we were going down this walk, and and as we were going through this trail, there was uh, bamboo grass growing along the sides. And so I was plucked a, a bamboo grass, and I was showing her how to whistle through the bamboo grass. And so we were whistling, or I was whistling with a bamboo grass, and it makes a really high pitched squeaking
0: mm. yeah. sound. Done it, done
1: it. And done it. yeah, you know the sound. Mm. And uh, and whenever I. Whistled. I would hear somewhere in the distance, somewhere behind us on the trail, that there was another whistle, and I thought, "Oh, maybe someone else is whistling on the trail, and someone's you know come for a walk this early as well." And we kept moving along and whistling. And every time I whistled, there would be the same whistle in the distance, but there was mm. nobody there. So I started to get a little bit freaked out. Like, was there someone out in the bushes just like whistling with us? Talking,
0: yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And so anyway, came back up and as we were coming up along the trail, heard the same sound again every time I whistled and realized that it was just when the trees were, uh, sorry, when the wind was blowing and there were certain branches of trees that were rubbing together and it made a squeaking sound. And I thought, oh, how cool. And started the morning with Satish and the very first poem that he read was about rivers. And I started to have this feeling of oh hang on that deja vu feeling of like wait there was something about rivers in my dream Mm. and the next few hours just it was i don't know how to describe it but an explosion of something um Mm. where there were synchronicities there were connections i was writing things down before they were even being spoken um and satish Mm. was talking about prakriti and purusha and the matter and the spirit and how everything has matter, everything has, everything that has matter has spirit mm. and you don't have one without the other. Mm. And then he said pretty much exactly this. He said, when you know, when you sing to the trees and they sing back to you, then you know, you're walking the line between the edge of the matter and the spirit. And at that moment, the oh. penny dropped. <laughs> and oh. and I realized that the trees were singing to me in response Mm. and and then it yeah i i sort of i looked around you know i was shaking and i looked around at this entire room and i looked at my friend who came with me in the morning where i was whistling and and we realized that the trees were making a similar sort of sound i was looking at her like she is she getting this is she you know does she how Mm. come no one else Mm. is shaking like i am Mm. um but that was yeah one of the other experiences where it was the it was like the perfect storm of of all of these experiences coming together and really understanding there is a very fine line and we are edge walkers and you know touching on that spirit world and the matter you know we see the tree and and we can judge the tree and name the tree and yet um can we see and can we feel its spirit so mm. Yeah. Grateful for all of those experiences and
0: mm. yeah, wow. Yeah. I mean, that gives me goosebumps. That's a beautiful mm. story. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit reminded of uh, my Taoism uh, and that Taoism is, is a path that you walk. And of course it's a path back to nature. It's a path mm-hmm. and, and meditation is feeling at home yes, in yourself. That's it. That's yes. all. That's meditation supposed to be. It's like okay, yeah. just like, whatever is fine. It's just like, yeah. oh, I'm home. Throw you, throw yeah. your, uh, your jacket on the chair, and and just put your feet up, and yeah, just like I'm, I'm good here. It's everything. Yes. Okay. Um. And and it feels like that That's what you do when you step on the path. Um. Which is you know me drawing a Taoist picture. Um, yeah. You just just really connecting. That's beautiful. Um, And people can, you now what I read now? I, I, I'm dyslexic. So I sort of, you know, I I managed to uh, rearrange every letter in your, in your
1: website. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Um,
0: So what I read is, is you, you do coaching for people so that uh, you, you say like the answers that you're looking for, if you'll and forgive me, I may be completely wrong. So just correct me. Mm. If you will open to nature, um, you'll see that nature solve these problems in different ways. Mm. Um, and you'll, you'll get answers to the, um, to the solutions you're seeking. Or you'll get answers, mm-hmm. the solutions, and you'll get answers to the, the questions. Mm. Yeah, mm. you get solutions to the, uh, to the problems. Um, and, and, you must, I mean, you, again, I go, well, it's a really nice idea, but does it actually work? I mean, does mm. it do, 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 corporates go? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to send you out to the woods to walk with a, uh, a young lady for a few days and, and come back and, and, um, be, be flower power. You know, I mean, you <laughs> must, you, you must have, you, um, you must have some anecdotes of people when they've, when they've gone and solved problems or when they've come back and they've just um, changed their lives. I, I mean, I, I really, I truly just meeting you for the first time here, I can believe that the people just mm. go, wow, I can relax. I can, mm. there's something I can relax into and it's called nature. It's called the world. Mm. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey in, you know, it, it I suppose, like many people who are starting their own business or their own craft and work and service and offering mm-hmm. um, to discover who it is that they wish it's a balance of who is it that, that I wish to work with and who is it who's coming who's who's being mm-hmm. attracted to this work and um, yeah, and so yes there's there's been it's interesting with the work that I do in balancing not balancing but observing how the the woo-woo culture is this is being labeled as that and tree hugging and flower mm. power and um, yeah there's there's the, the cultural connotations of what that might mean or seem for somebody to to somebody and and it's interesting drawing on. Uh, local Hong Kong culture um, or Chinese culture, and uh, reminding you know myself and and us and the community here that this is not this is not new. This is ancient, in in cultures all across the world. Um, hmm. You know the just as permaculture is is a new name, a relatively new name, but it's an ancient practice of cultivating the land. Um, mm. with the land in collaboration with the land mm. and the, the work that I offer is is reminding people again of that the natural world that we are a mirror for the natural world and the natural world is a mirror for us And mm. um, so what I my experience of spending time in the natural world is that messages, symbols, metaphors will come through when i'm seeking something and but actually not always when i'm seeking something because again nature knows us way better than you know it can see straight through all the masks that we have and Mm. so whenever i'm coming if there is a real true intention then i might i might be able to strip back my layers enough to be able to see what is being offered as as an answer or as an inspiration um
0: you you know what for me it, it comes across firstly i love what you say about like uh, woo woo and you, people want to want to label it but the second is is like i feel like um what you're offering people is to drop a mask mm. um and and, and you, you know you pe- people are able to go out there and it reminds me so much of meditation because meditation sometimes uh i would say it's not meditation in the small brain but the big brain you know which is mm-hmm. which is Like um, they say, uh, you know, in the Hermetic traditions, as above, so below, on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. So I can, I can see that. Okay. I'm going to feel that inside, but I can go outside and I can still experience it in exactly the same way. And it's like um, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. It's like you find your access to that big, to that big wisdom through a walk in the woods.
1: Yes. And,
0: and you've been able to, Integrate that so you're able to find it in yourself as well. Yes. And you offer that to people who say, Oh, I can't meditate. Say, Well, okay.
1: At the moment of this remembering, if the remembering is authentic, it is not viewed as a personal thing. Mm. There is really no such thing as a personal awakening because personal Mm. would imply separation. Personal would imply that the me or the ego that awakens or becomes enlightened. But a true awakening, it is a realized very clearly that even the awakening self is not personal. It is a universal spirit or universal consciousness that wakes up to itself rather than the me waking up. Yeah.
0: It, you know, it, it reminds me so much of Socrates and it reminds me so much of Tao, Yeah. So Socrates, Socrates was like, yeah, you, you got everything like you, well, I need to strip away what you think, you know, uh, um, yeah. because you don't know. Yeah. Like yes. knowing. And, and I found it so interesting. The Chinese for knowing is a mouth and an arrow. Um, and I, I thought, well, it's something that shoots from the mouth like an arrow. And of course, you know, ancient Chinese were archers. They were charioteers. They were calligraphers. They were, you know, you had to be a scholar, yeah, to be able to to write. And that means you need to do Kung, you know, you need to do Kung Fu, mm-hmm. yeah. And one thing you learn about an arrow is it, it only goes so far.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's
0: just going to fall and it's going to hit the ground. And mm-hmm. it's lost all its power. And that's so true for knowledge, whatever you think, Mm -hmm. you know, that comes out of your mouth, it's very limited. Yeah. It's going to fly through the air and make you feel good and give you some confidence. Maybe, maybe, maybe kill something on its way. And then it's just going to fall to the ground completely Mm. used. And yeah, at at the end of its. and of course that's circular. So the wonderful thing about the Tao is it is circular. And we always say, yeah. Or G Yeah. In Cantonese, way. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know the way, but often we, we don't know the way cause the way is circular.
1: It's also reminding me of, um, so last year I, I initiated myself, um, by having never had a rights of passage, conscious rights of passage. I, um, for years, had been ready for a vision quest. You know, vision quest is is a way to remember the the is a way to remember who we were supposed to be before the world got its hands on us. And that idea that again that the earth dreamed each of us into being into this life, and we're coming back to that, remembering what is the intention of what it is that we're here to do what is what is each of our medicines to bring into this life and into this world and how Mm -hmm. can we live that life as fully as possible and um yeah and it was it was a it was a stripping away of i mean when you're out there all alone in the wild staying in one place for four days and for four nights there's very little hiding that you can do yeah. And whether you'd like it or not, those faces, those masks will, will fall away. And, and in some cultures, uh, in Native American cultures, the, the translation or the understanding of vision quest means the little death, because it's an yeah. acceptance of a part of you or many parts of you that die in order for this earth body, self and soul yeah. to show up and do its work.
0: I, again, I think like the losing the ego is a little death. And and, and so do you mm. do rituals with people? Are you, is that one of the things you do now or, or not really?
1: I, I'm, I'm in training. Um, so I, I've trained to uh, protect others in Vision Quest and, and I'll be completing that hopefully by the end of this year. Um, but what I do offer is uh, off teaching and sharing of earth skills. And so a lot of the skills that our ancestors would have known um, and practiced on a daily basis. Not that even it was, it's not necessarily even seen as a skill, but as a necessity to life, you know, how do you make fire? How do you build shelter? Where do you identify food and and wild medicine? Um, Mm. and, and I work primarily with women again, not consciously, but as I started this, it was, it all just fell very organically where I found women were, were finding me, um, and a big part of my experience in having worked in, in the outdoor world for so many years and doing these nature camps for children and mm-hmm. um, guiding large groups of people up to mountains to plant trees. It's, it was very physical, very laborious work, which I loved. Um, and yet again, in, in a place like Hong Kong, and even my mother, you know, she would be like, "Oh, you're, like your skin, you need to look after your skin because, you know, it's not nice for a woman to have dark skin or patches mm-hmm. or wrinkles." Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed also even within the, well, even outside of the industry, the the limitations of what women are viewed as can or cannot do yeah. are very conditioned, very unconscious, even to the point of, you know, someone would hand me the lighter bag of trees to carry. And I'm sure it was out of care and and love that here I'll carry the heavy one because I'm a man and you carry the the lighter one. Um, All of these hidden ways in which women also unconsciously give their power away. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm starting to work with women, especially with fire and, and you know, learning how to bring fire through by pure friction. So whether it was, you know, with a bow drill, rubbing sticks together or with flint and steel, um, the surprise in women when they were discovering their, or not discovering, but remembering their ability. And they would say, I don't know why I've never made fire before. Mm. And then as they think about it, they're like, oh, it's, it's probably because like my dad always did it or my husband always does mm. it. Mm. And so it's not, it's not, you know, poo-pooing that men can't do fire, like let the women do fire, but it's the ways in which we recognize as women and as girls um, where it is that we give that away to, to allow someone else to do it because we also put ourselves in that box of, no, some, someone else will do that. And, and this is not for me to do.
0: You know, I mean, what I'm getting is it's not, it, it's not, um, it's, it's about giving somebody a connection mm. because I feel that's one of the things you, one of these words that you use that, that so expresses um, the essence of what you're doing is mm. reconnection reconnection mm. so look reconnection to your strength so, so okay well that's fine somebody can carry that for you now what about mm. if you did it and you just reconnect with your strength and feel how far mm-hmm. that goes or mm. you can make fire it's not wrong that somebody else makes fire but you can reconnect to your own ability to make fire and then you can say somebody else can make fire now Absolutely. like you you just know that yeah exactly um, and, yeah. Uh, and and that's very i, I in a way it's very liberating you know some people um do walks over fire pits to have the confidence that they can then do things in life but you know some people don't need such an extreme metaphor yeah no. that they can <laughs> do things in life as, as richard That's bandler great. who developed uh, who trained that guy uh, richard Bandler trained tony robbins and he said yeah it's kind of his thing is if they can walk over a fire pit, then they can do, I don't know, they can start a business. And he said, but actually that, you know, they don't need to walk over a fire pit to believe that they can start a business, um, Absolutely. But, but it works for them. So, you know,
1: Yeah.
0: anyway, I, I, I'm very um, touched by your presence and I can imagine that people would actually just like to be with you. And just mm. you know, hang out with you. So, do you have like a hangout with Jasmine, like you know? <laughs> or, you know I mean,
1: <laughs> I do. Oh, that's so cute to say that. Thank you. Um, yeah, part of part of the offerings that I put out is, uh, and interestingly, they've been it's it's been medicine for me and. Um, and, and so that's why I, I sort of offer it out to, to people if they want to join me in doing that is to have fireside song circles and come, come hang out, sit around a fire and let's sing songs together in reverence for the earth. And um, yeah, these, these little gatherings, they, they, mean, they mean so much to me. And I always think, what is it that I want to do? What does my heart and my body want to do? And surely, you know, maybe there'll be a few other people that want to come come and do that with me, you know, come and whittle in the wood.
0: I hope, and I feel that everybody can definitely say they've, they can feel you through our mm-hmm. talk and that they can connect with what you're really about. And I really hope that you really reach your, your tribe mm. and your initiates that, that, you know, may want to join your tribe um, or even just go part of the journey with you. I wish you mm. every success. It's just beautiful. It's it's beautiful for me. And I'd say in a very um, natural way, it's very humbling to just um, hear your story. And uh...
1: mm. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be able to share what's important for me. Um...
0: I've gotten a mission to make. Um, I had to just take some... Little snippets out of that interview. it was so amazing to talk to Jasmine. you know I've took it's the longest interview I've done uh, so far. Uh, she's got so many stories and I wish um, we can have her back and, and hear more of her stories and hear how she's getting on and do connect with her at Kimbali in Hong Kong and uh, do connect with her if you just want to connect back with yourself and back with nature. I says Discover Energy work helping you discover energy work.